0: This edition of Community Matters podcast, where we discuss issues important to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. My name is Tony Campisi, Executive Director of the Keystone Chapter of Community Associations Institute. Yes, we have formally changed our name to the Keystone Chapter. Today's topic is nuisances in community associations: odors, noise neighbor-to-neighbor disputes, and more. This is a topic that often comes up in conversations with association board members and managers and how they can deal with complaints from homeowners about nuisances that may occur in their communities. Joining me today to talk about this topic is Ed Hoffman, Esquire, with Hoffman Law. Ed is a member of the College of Community Association Lawyers and is the chair of CAI's Pennsylvania Legislative Action Committee. Welcome Ed, Ed and Franklin contributes to CAI. A little bit, a little bit about your speaker, speaker and author. Good
1: morning, Tony. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to discuss nuisance here with you today. Uh, Hoffman Law is uh, a full service association law firm. We do general counsel work uh, for associations, transition collections, everything uh, from soup to nuts for community associations throughout Pennsylvania. Um, Including defense litigation hired by insurance companies to defend DNO and general liability claims. So, uh, our website is HoffmanHOAlaw.com, and our phone number is 484 229 8850.
0: Great, thank you for that. So, Ed, you recently presented a topic on the issue of dealing with nuisances in community associations. Uh, community associations and you define nuisances in various ways, including public versus private nuisances and subjective versus objective nuisances. What do you mean by those terms?
1: Well, I, I think where we should start is actually telling the listener what a nuisance really is and then going into the private and the public part. Um, oftentimes nuisance is kind of a, a, a it, it's a word that's thrown about by board members and managers and and everyone for that matter, owners, lawyers, um, everything is a nuisance in someone's eyes. What I mean by that is, if it bothers you, people say it's a nuisance, right? Uh, But legally, it's not necessarily a nuisance. Um, The the Merriam-Webster definition is it's it's a harm or injury that's annoying, unpleasant, or obnoxious. Well, anyone, anything could make that uh, applicable, right? It's too subjective in nature. Uh, If you just say, I was bothered by it, it's a nuisance, give me relief from it. Uh, The standard is objective. And what I mean by that is, uh, it's a reasonable person standard. And how I explain it in layman's terms typically is what would your grandma think about it? Would your grandma think that this is a big problem? Or would your grandma think that this is just this isn't a big deal, it's just bothering you. So um, or or in, in, our, in the real world, what would a, a jury of your peers think, right? So would a majority of the ju- jury consider the issue to be uh, bothersome enough to, to be unreasonable, meaning it, it, it would bother them as well? So that's the first takeaway. first takeaway is that it's an objective standard, not a subjective standard to get to nuisance. The private versus public part is... Uh, Public nuisance is generally something that is, I won't say massive in scope, but it's something that's dealing with a big portion of the population. And um, it threatens public health and safety, welfare, et cetera. And the example I typically bring up is Flint, Michigan water supply. That was a public nuisance. And there's no doubt it's a public nuisance because it endangered the the lives of people uh, due to the water. So that's a public nuisance. We don't usually deal with public nuisances in associations, though obviously it could be possible. Uh, Our nuisances are private in nature, typically. And a private nuisance um, is, it's a, and this is the legal term of art in Pennsylvania, non trespassory invasion of another's interest in the private use and enjoyment of land. What does that mean? It means that the trespass isn't required. You don't you, you don't actually have to enter someone's property or that the person or an entity doesn't. It could be something else. And what do I mean by that? Um, smoke, noise, um, light. These are things that we're going to discuss a little bit. Uh, odor. Uh, these are things that not necessarily can emanate onto someone's property without being a trespass. And it has to cause significant harm. And what I mean by that is, Again, it's not a slight inconvenience. Um, the standard is, again, objective in nature. There has to be a real and appreciable interference with someone's ability to use their, their property. And, um, and again, the standard, and as association lawyers and then boards and managers that, that do this kind of work, the standard that always comes up is reasonableness, reasonableness. What's reasonable here given the circumstances? So it has to be an interference with someone's reasonable use of their property, right? So if someone complains that my neighbor's smoking on the deck and I can't go outside, but the neighbor's smoking on the deck 10 minutes a day, um, that's probably not reasonable. You know, just don't go outside for those 10 minutes and you got the rest of the 23 hours and 50 minutes, you can go outside on the deck and not be impacted by the smoke. So that's the reasonableness factor. Neighbor versus neighbor disputes. This is where they typically come up in private nuisance. So, neighbor, one neighbor, in the example I just made, one neighbor says something the other neighbor is doing is bothering me, and we're going to talk about a little bit about it. Fair Housing Act issues um, <clears throat> related to that today.
0: So, the definitions that you just described are, seem pretty broad to me as a layperson. So, yeah. are these nuisances uh, necessarily explained? or specifically noted in an association's governing documents?
1: So the simple answer is typically no. Um, the standard is broad for nuisance, which which I just went through and it's a subjective standard. I'm sorry, an objective standard, not a subjective standard. The, the governing documents typically are also very broad in nature and what they typically will provide is language. Uh, I can give you an example of language that is, is in an association document. Uh, one, one example I have is uh, no noxious or offensive activities or noise shall be carried or allowed in or upon the common elements or in any unit, nor shall anything be done therein willfully or negligently, which may or may become an annoyance or nuisance to the other residents in the community. Well, what does that mean? That's, that's a pretty, to, to me, that's a pretty subjective term, right? But um, <clears throat> you to get to where you need to be to apply that that covenant would be an objective standard. And it's in there, you know, listen, governing documents are never perfect. We know they're never perfect. They're written by humans, you know, typically, and, and I'm going to make a lawyer joke, typically by lawyers, but governing documents are typically not perfect in nature, but at least it's something in there. At least it's something. So. Lesson uh, A is always look at the governing documents first and see if there's something in there that allows you to at least, uh, if, it, if it's an issue that the association has to handle, it may be something, there may be something in the documents that you're, you can hang your hat on. And that kind of provision, although very broad in scope, the fact that it's broad in scope actually allows you to, to apply that to more things than not if that makes any sense. So always look to the governing documents.
0: So let me ask you about abating a, a nuisance and how, do, how does a community association go about abating a nuisance, Yeah, even if it's not specifically mentioned in the documents?
1: So um, <clears throat> that answer has kind of shifted over the years. And what I mean by that is, um, the duty for the association to get to a place where it even believes it's required or, or is required to abate the nuisance uh, has shifted because of things like the Fair Housing Act. And we'll talk about that. But abating um, the nuisance, the first step is, again, what we just talked about. It's go to the governing documents, right? What do the governing documents say? And if the governing documents have a provision about a a nuisance or um, something that is impacting somebody, then you follow the procedure set forth in the governing documents. And what do I mean by that? Um, You can investigate. So investigate first. So the, the board and the board or committee, whoever is charged with that in the community can investigate the complaint. And then take that back to the board or if the board is doing it on their own, uh, they can figure out what it is and then they have to follow due process provisions in in the documents like any other potential violation. The if the allegation is I'm being bothered by X, Y and Z by my neighbor, uh, then um, the board may have a duty to look into that and they should look into that follow due process and give the opportunity uh, to be heard to the unit owner that is the alleged offender and uh, have a, a meeting, a hearing, whatever you like to call it with that unit owner and figure out what's going on. Um, you know, Go to the documents first and see. So investigate and take that into consideration. The, the bigger issue here is, and, and by the way, it's much different when I'm gonna kind of make a, uh, I'm gonna separate the issues a little bit. When it's association issue purely meaning common element is impacted by the alleged nuisance. It's it's fairly clear cut in almost every sense that the association can do something to abate the nuisance. And what do I mean by that? Um, someone is someone is uh, dumping on association property, or there that that would be a trespass. But something they're doing is causing association property to get injured, whether it's flow of um, you know odor or something is impacting association property the issue the bigger issue that we're seeing more and more now is neighbor to neighbor disputes and that's typically where we where associations for decades now have kind of drawn the line in the sand and said we don't really need to get involved in neighbor to neighbor disputes um and first thing again go to the governing documents this is what the association lawyers will always tell you what are the i get a question about anything i say what do the documents say And this client says, what do you mean? I said, what do the documents say? Do they say anything about it? They said, that's your job. I said, okay, I'll look at it and I'll tell you what they say. So what do the documents say? So even the neighbor-to-neighbor dispute issue, look at the documents. Typically, they don't say too much about those things aside from um, what I read earlier, what I told you about earlier, uh, the, the broad general nuisance, noxious odor activity, kind of language that's in the, in the document that you may be able to apply but typically the documents don't provide something so specific to say if if one neighbor does something to another it doesn't work that way so um <clears throat> private nuisance disputes can be uh neighbor to neighbor disputes and the association may actually have no legal standing to get involved the tide is shifting though and associations are getting involved more and more and more and what I mean by that is the, the kind of the flavor and character of um, what's being alleged has changed over the years. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's getting the nuisance is getting worse and becoming more hot. And, and the, this is perhaps the wrong word to use, but more hostile in nature. Um, but the, the allegations of, of what the nuisance is are becoming they're doing they're doing this purposefully, to harass me. You following me? So those allegations are coming up more and more, and uh, we can talk about the the Fair Housing Act uh, issues uh, now or whenever you like.
0: Well, yeah, let's let's turn to that because I was going to ask about fair housing issues and, and whether or not HUD or the FHA does come into play when an association tries to abate nuisance issues. So, so talk, to, yeah. talk about that.
1: Sure. So a uh, fair housing issue is, is probably the biggest shift right now. And what I mean by that is there was it's almost five years ago now, I was going to say a new rule, but it's almost five years old. But the fruits of that new rule are, are finally starting to, uh, to come out here for us. And what, what their, the rule provides is, uh, that's 2016 final rule, and it's housing and urban development, right? It's quid pro and hostile environment harassment and liability for discriminatory housing practices under the Fair Housing Act. And what that does with respect to hostile environment harassment is essentially that um, explains, and this is the reasonable person standard, and and. Ironically or not so ironically, this reasonable person standard is almost the same that you would use to analyze a nuisance case. So it's the reasonable person standard under which hostile environment harassment is assessed is whether unwelcome conduct is sufficiently severe or pervasive as to create a hostile environment is evaluated from the perspective of a reasonable person in the aggrieved person's position. What does that mean? Would it bother not just that person, but it would bother everyone. Would it bother every, everyone, right? Or most people. That's the same thing for a nuisance. So that echoes and amplifies what the nuisance standard is. Um, The issue becomes the the complainant, the person, the neighbor, the tenant, unit owner, anyone who's the one complaining about um, the harassment, whether it's caused by a nuisance or anything else. But for our discussion today, we'll just talk about the nuisance um if that person is a member of protected class under the fair housing act and you know race color national origin religion sex gender familial status uh disabilities things like that so if they make the the nuisance complaint um it's a different analysis that hud would undertake with respect to what the association is supposed to be doing what do i mean by that so hud hud um and, and I call this the Achilles' heel for us, as for associations. Before you, the association wouldn't be liable for third-party activity. and what is, what is that? Third-party activity is if one neighbor is harassing another neighbor in the community. Well, that neighbor would be held could potentially be held liable for his or her own actions. The third-party liability section in this final rule provides that the association doesn't do something to act when it may have a duty to do so under the documents right, or otherwise legally, then the association can be held liable for the third party for the harassor's conduct, meaning the neighbor that's harassing the other neighbor. Um, if the association knew or should have known, that's the, the golden ticket always, should have known of the conduct Had the power to fix it, correct it, and didn't do anything. So bury your head in the sand. You didn't do anything. Um, Once the associations get notice of this kind of allegation of a harassment, um, whether it's a nuisance or anything else, they have to investigate and have to look into it. And um, if they don't, they can end up being held liable for the other party's actions, which kind of sounds uh, crazy in some ways, right? But it's what the rule provides. So the duty is to again, the board duty is to act reasonably, investigate, um, and apply the documents. And in fact, HUD, HUD in in the uh, one of the one of the seminal cases uh, that deals with this issue, basically said, use the documents, um, impose. You know, the association failed to respond to the harassment by imposing conditions authorized by the CCNRs, that's what the court said. And the courts also say associations regularly enforce other things in the documents, right? No clothesline, you can't have an above ground, whatever it is, they enforce all their restrictions. They should be enforcing this too, meaning if it's in there you know about it. You should be doing something about it. So
0: let me let me let me yeah. interrupt your second, Ed, because that's yeah. an interesting point you're making, uh, and I want to ask you about about the enforcement. So you, you know, you mentioned clotheslines lines or parking rules or any of the other myriad rules that a that yeah. a board is supposed to enforce, and typically they're doing enforcement with fines and things like that. Yeah. How how does a board enforce the types of they're not necessarily rules i i guess the the type of actions you're describing like a neighbor versus neighbor harassment are they imposing fines or is there some other (laughs) enforcement mechanism
1: well that's the that's the kind of the rub right so what the courts have there there's an opinion that's um well the, the rule the comments to the final rule provide that the association and the word they use is the final rule merely requires their association to take whatever actions it legally can take to end the harassing conduct. And they say basically start with start with your own documents and see if something applies in there. Um, and the the shift of focus of this uh, harassment um, standard is again not just related to the, to nuisance, but it's for all types of discriminatory, conduct um in the nuisance sense again um what people would allege is this is occurring because i'm a member of xyz protected class you following me so they're merely doing this to harass me they're playing the music like this because they don't like me because i'm this member of protected class or this is how and here's other evidence that they're that that's showing this once those allegations are made um we the association have to take them seriously and we have to investigate uh what have i seen in practice i've seen uh associations offer to do do a mediation uh with the two unit owners um meaning have someone have anyone, me, the property manager, board member, collectively all of us, meet with the two disputing unit owners about the issues um, and see if there's something we can do. Uh, If it's something that is so flagrant and obvious that it shouldn't be happening in the community, then, then we may have a situation where the board has to make a tough decision and say, do you wanna do an, do we have to do an injunction to try and preclude this behavior from occurring in our community? Again, not something that associations typically would have done years ago, uh, but the final rule is showing us that we could be liable for someone else's conduct. So again, it's case-by-case basis, it's factual issues, and uh, I see this in the next, you know, I see this in the next five years becoming more of an issue overall, Um, and it may, we're talking about today, because it invariably is going to involve some nuisance allegations as well.
0: So you've mentioned liability a couple of times. How does insurance figure into this discussion topic? Does the association have to notify their insurance carrier about certain complaints about nuisances?
1: Yeah, and and typically um, you're, those are DNO claims, meaning director and officer liability claims that would come down the pike against the association if the association were to be sued. And what I mean by that is, um, and maybe I'm <clears throat> over. Maybe I'm skipping over your question a little bit. Um, the simple answer is, if there's such complaints from one unit or to another, and then they put the association on notice of it, um, whether or not the association has to advise the carrier at that point is something that we'd have to look at. What the allegations are, if they. If the complainant says the association is responsible and the association is going to be held liable, then you then it's a threat to the association. You should then notify the DNO carrier because it would be a, an issue involving board alleged board action or inaction um, pertinent to whatever allegation of harassment is being made uh, with respect to the nuisance. If, even if it's not a harassment allegation, lawsuits happen all the time for nuisance and the associations can get dragged in so i would typically advise to call the call the broker and say here's a situation where we are right now Um, does this rise to the level of a formal claim sometimes they'll say no but they'll note it in the file and they'll say we'll monitor it please let us know if anything happens and let us know what's going on if it's an actual claim they'll say yeah this is a claim we have to The assigned defense counsel, the assigned defense counsel, something has to be, this is more of a something we have to keep on our formal radar. So uh, the simple answer, Tony, and that I just spent two minutes explaining is, yeah, you probably should notify someone of these kind of allegations, especially if the association is going to be impacted in some way.
0: Ed, final final question here, I wanna ask you about smoking and the odors specifically from marijuana, which tends to to be a more pungent and sharp odor than than tobacco. Uh, Many states, including Pennsylvania, New Jersey, have already approved medical marijuana. New Jersey has recently approved recreational marijuana. Pennsylvania and Delaware may follow suit at some point in the near future. How does the changing legality about marijuana specifically impact complaints about this as a nuisance?
1: So this is literally a hot off the kind of a hot off the press topic, and it, it might be premature to actually try and predict. But what we can do is put it in the bucket of smoke complaints in general, because and like you said, it's more pungent uh, potentially than regular smoke, cigarette smoke, etc. Um, it, it's going to happen, and this, the simple answer is. Um, and by the way, the, the shift in tide from people, uh, the acceptance of marijuana use uh, as opposed to regular cigarette use, is probably it, it's 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 going to mean that. You're going to see more marijuana, more marijuana smoking in places where you didn't before and in like uh, tower style condominium buildings and things like that. That's going to be the most immediate impact emanating through walls, sliding doors on patios. Um, And what are associations going to be able to do about it? Uh, Even though the marijuana is legal, just like cigarettes would be legal and just like cigarette smoking would be legal or is legal. It doesn't change the, the, um, analysis of if someone else is bothered by it and that's the nuisance analysis. So if you, if it's Cheech and Chong living next to you, right. And they're smoking that much marijuana, uh, and literally all you do is uh, it's coming through the walls, everywhere you go, it's marijuana. Most, uh, objective, reasonable people would say, this is just out of control. And the association's gonna to have to tell Cheech and Chong, this is great, you could smoke, but you're impacting your neighbors by the amount of smoke that's emanating from your unit. It's the same analysis. Uh, and if it's recreational in use, the protection for um, you know, medical necessity or something like that is taken out. I know now in Pennsylvania, it's not smoke smoking marijuana, is it's not a medical use, but once it's recreational, it totally takes it out. So I think it's gonna be the same analysis I just think uh, you're, you're in your question, the, the, the I guess the uh, the pungency or the odor is going to, I think, bother more people than regular cigarette smoke would. And that's why you're going to start seeing this kind of thing. So while they say uh, the weed is legal and the t-shirts are out there, it, do- it doesn't mean you can do it at the impact or expense or detriment of your neighbor. I mean, there's plenty of smoke, regular smoke lawsuits that have been filed all around the country uh, where one neighbor sued another neighbor and an association for failing to do something about incessant smoking. So uh, I I predict that we're going to see the same kind of thing. And I think they're going to be treated the same way. I don't think there's really going to be much of a a difference. The the, the bigger difference is going to be that, you know, the police just aren't going to get involved because it's not illegal activity anymore.
0: Ed, thank you for joining me today for this episode of our podcast. This was an interesting conversation, and I hope this information will be helpful to our community association managers and homeowners. If you'd like more information on services provided by Hoffman Law, please visit them online at www.hoffmanhoalaw.com. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, Cooperative or Homeowners Association, please contact the Keystone Chapter of CAI or visit our website at www.cai-padelval.org. Thanks for listening.